And if you have your Bibles, go ahead and grab them at this time. And turn to the very first book of the Bible, the book of Genesis. Very easy to find at the beginning of the book. And uh, turn with me to Genesis chapter 8. We are going to cover all of Genesis chapter 8 and uh, find our way into half of 9 as we continue on with our sermon series on Noah. We're in part 5, and, and uh, I've entitled my sermon, Covenant, because we're going to see that God is going to fulfill his covenant promise to save Noah through the flood, and then he's going to give a covenant promise to Noah and every human being since him to never flood the earth in that way again. So, Noah part 5, covenant, Genesis chapter 8, and on to 9. I trust that you're there or close to getting there, so let's pray, and then we'll dive right in. Father, would you be with us this morning? I pray that our songs and our offering and our praise and our prayers, our listening and testimonies would have been well-pleasing to you. Father, thank you for the life of this man that we have been able to study these past few weeks and that we'll continue to study for a week or two. Thank you for all the lessons about us as human beings made in your image that you teach to us through Noah. Thank you for many of the lessons that we've learned about who you are. And Father, our hearts have been focused this morning on your faithfulness, that when you make a promise, you keep it, that when you begin something, you finish it, and that you are altogether true, trustworthy, faithful, and reliable, and that we can bank on your word, and that Noah this morning will discover that. And I pray that we would discover that as well. So thank you for the covenant promise that you made to him, that you kept. Thank you for the covenant promise that you made with all of us, that you continue to keep day by day, night by night, morning by morning, season by season, and year by year. You demonstrate your faithfulness to us, and we're so grateful for it. So be with us, help us to hear well, and to live well because we've listened. In the name of Jesus, all of God's people say together, amen. So uh, most of you know me pretty well by now. We uh, just finished, it's been seven years now, Memorial Day. So we've been here seven years, and most of you know us well enough, know me well enough, to know my strengths and my weaknesses. And one of my weaknesses is technology. And the guys back there in the booth can testify to that, that uh, I'm not particularly up on new technology, and I don't know how to work it oftentimes. So it's, it's not uncommon that Glenn or Doug will get a phone call or a text from me, and I'll say, hey, my computer's not working, or hey, the modem's not working, hey, something's not going right. And just about... Every time, the first thing they say to me is, well, have you turned it off and on again? And I say, oh, oh no, I I forgot. And they say that almost every time. And then I say, no, I forgot. And most of the time, when I turn the machine off and I turn it back on, most of the time, reset works. And so this reset strategy has become my favorite strategy for fixing pretty much any technological problem that I can come across. I think this reset idea should work. So our computer at home, maybe it's not working right. Let's try resetting it, right? If the the modem, the internet's being slow or it's not downloading fast enough, let's reset it, right? Maybe our DVD player is skipping or it's stalling. You know what we should do? We should hit the reset button. Maybe it's my iPhone. It's not particularly working well. You know what I do? I hit the reset button. Maybe it's the printer at our house or here at the church, which breaks oftentimes. You know what I've I've learned? Reset is a really good strategy for fixing things that aren't quite working up to par. They're not working as the creator designed for it to function. And so reset, let me commend it to you. It's a wonderful way for fixing things. You know, 
As we get into the story here, as we continue on in Genesis chapter 8, what we're going to find out, if you recall from last week, is that God essentially wiped out almost all life on earth. So every human being on earth was destroyed. Every animal on earth was decimated by this global flood that we looked at last week, except for the animals that Noah brought on board, and except for Noah, his wife, his three sons, and their three wives. And so after wiping off almost all life on earth, today God in his faithfulness to his word is going to end the flood and make a new covenant with humanity. And in essence, what he's going to be doing is hitting the reset button. What we see here in Genesis 8 and 9 is language of new beginning, is language of God hitting reset on a creation that had gone bad. It's him hitting reset on a creation, in particular the humanity part of creation that was, in the words of the text, corrupt. It had corrupted itself to the point to where God said, I want to start this over. And so he hits reset on his creation. In chapter 8, we're going to see a couple sections. So if you're taking notes, you want to know where we're going. In chapter 8, we're going to see the flood rescind. That is, the flood waters will abate, and the flood is going to end. And then in chapter 9, we're going to see the, recre- the creation restart. So in chapter 8, the flood, the flood will rescind, and in chapter 9, the creation will restart. And along the way, we'll find three or four life lessons that we learn from this section of Scripture. So let's turn now to Genesis chapter 8 and find the flood rescinding. Genesis chapter 8, verse 1, is what I want you to focus on. There in chapter 8, verse 1, the section begins with a very key statement. This is what it says. But God, important words, but God remembered Noah and all of the wild animals and the livestock that were with him on the ark, and he sent a wind over the earth, and the waters receded. So at the very beginning, we have to remember where we were, right? God had flooded the earth, and all that was left was Noah, and they're sitting on a boat, and as far as we know, they hadn't gotten any word from God. All they know was the rocking back and forth of the ark, and all they know is the bleeding of the sheep and the roaring of the lions, and certainly Noah had to be wondering, okay, God, you've saved us from the flood, But when is this going to be over, right? When is it time for these waters to go away? And when is it time to begin again? And we hear, uh, see here in in chapter 8, verse 1, these key words, God remembered. As they were floating on the ark, God remembered. As one Hebrew scholar, Dr. Alan Ross says, the verb here, remember, is used frequently to describe God's faithfulness to his covenant promises. So what's going on here? Is Noah and all the animals and his family just on the ark floating around and God is, let's say, surveying the earth and he's looking at the damage and the the water uh, covering the faces of the earth and then he gets to the region where the boat is and he says, oh, look, there's Noah and there's the ark and there's there's all the animals. I forgot about, I need to do something about that. that. Is that what's going on? Well, certainly not, right? That's not what it means when it says that God remembered. He didn't forget anything. It's language of keeping one's promise. God didn't forget Noah. It was at that point he decided to faithfully keep his promise to deliver Noah from the flood and to restart creation from Noah and his family's descendants. I mean, we kind of use this language, right? We say that we remember things, and we don't... uh, 
exactly mean that we remember. It means that we remember and we do something with it. And so let's say uh, your birthday is coming up and I send you an email or I send you a Facebook. Hey, happy birthday, right? Or let's say even better, I stop by your house and it's your birthday and I give you a gift. You may say, oh, thanks for remembering me on my birthday. Well, not only did I cognitively remember, but what did I do? I acted on it, right? It's, it's an active term. And so God here is going to do something about the promise that he made to Noah to save and deliver and restart creation. So that brings us to the first life lesson for this sermon. The first thing that we see from Genesis 8, verse 1 is this, is that God finishes the saving works that he begins. God finishes what he starts, right? He's not one who starts something and then quits. What God begins, he finishes. And what we're going to see through the rest of this chapter is that God began a saving work for Noah and his family, right? He began to save him. He provided uh, uh, the, the, the plan for the ark and he told him to get on board. He, he saved Noah and his family from death and the floodwaters began to rise. But there Noah sits in the middle of this huge, vast ocean, if you will, And what is God going to do? Is God just going to leave him there? Or is he going to finish the saving work that he began? And that's exactly what God does in the rest of this story, is that what God begins, he finishes. And friends, this is wonderful news for you and I. This is wonderful news for you and I. If you've placed your faith and your trust in Jesus Christ personally, what we see is that God has also begun a saving work in your life. That the moment that you place your faith in Jesus, you are born again, you become a new creature, and you have a reconciled relationship with God, and a host of other things, that in that moment, God begins a saving work of making you holy, of making you like Jesus, and of reconciling you to Him. And what He begins, the saving work in my life, and in your life, if you're a Christian, if He has begun that work, He will finish it. It's not an option. He will finish what He began. So if you have been born again, you have been uh, forgiven of your sins, you've had a rebirth and an adoption into His family, God will continue to grow you. He will continue to make you more like Jesus. He will relentlessly pursue making you holy until the day that you die and the day that you are raised, literally, from the ground at the resurrection and at the return of Christ, in that day, his saving work will be done. But friends, don't don't be deceived. If God begins this work in you, like he began a promise and a saving work with Noah, he will finish it. One of my all-time favorite verses is Philippians 1.6. It's not on the screen, but it reads this way. Paul says, Being confident of this, that he, speaking of God, who began a good work, so notice the language, he who began a good work in you will what? Will carry it on to completion. Until, when is this going to happen? Until the day of Christ. That is, when Jesus returns, the saving work of salvation that he began in my life and in your life will be completed. Friends, what God begins, he finishes. And that is wonderful news if you're a Christian. Wonderful news. So, we've gotten one verse into chapter 8. Let's see if we can make a little more headway. In verses 2 through 19, uh, I want to skim over it. I I recommend that you read it. But in verses 2 through 19, we have a description of how the floodwaters began to rescind, how they began to abate, and Noah and his family and all the animals, their final exit from the ark. I want to show you a quick chart here, and uh, hopefully in the back I've got these 
uh, for you, and you can take them if you want. I can also email them to you. But this is basically what happens in verses 2 through 19. It's a chronology of the flood. Uh, we see that there was uh, seven days. Some people think he was on the ark those seven days. Some people think he got on the ark on the last day. But basically what we see is that waters continued for 150 days. Then the waters receded for another 150 days. And then it basically took 70 days for it to be all completed with, for a grand total of 377 days or 371, depending upon when you think Noah got on the ark. But the point is, is that the waters rescinded. Uh, there was a process that Noah took. You can read about it when we're done. But in verses 2 through 19, that's what we see going on. I want to skip ahead for time's sake to verse 20. So look with me at chapter 8 and verse 20. And what we're going to see there is Noah's response. This is very important. Noah's response to everything that he's been through, to God completing the saving work of Noah and his family. We're going to see a response of worship and a response of sacrifice. We're going to see Noah's response of worship on the one hand, and then we're going to see God's response of determining to make a new covenant promise to all of creation. So let's read verses 20 through 22 of chapter 8. Then Noah built an ark, Excuse me. Then Noah built an altar to the Lord, and taking some of all the clean animals and clean birds, he sacrificed burnt offerings on it. The Lord smelled the pleasing aroma and said in his heart, Never again will I curse the ground because of humans, even though every inclination of the human heart is evil from childhood. And never again will I destroy all living creatures as I have done. As long as the earth endures... Seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night will never cease. So what do we have going on here? Noah responds in worship. He responds in sacrifice. And God, in response to that, in spite of the fact, that's important that we see that, God looks at Noah's sacrifice and he's in spite of the fact that the inclination of every human being from childhood is evil. In spite of that fact, I'm going to graciously respond by making a covenant. I will never again destroy the earth via a flood. And it's interesting. Did you notice? It's evidenced. This, this covenant promise, we call it the Noahic covenant, this covenant promise of God to never ever destroy the earth via flood again is evidenced by what? It's evidenced by the continual changing of the seasons. Did you notice that in the text? It's in a in poetry form, right? Cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night. That is, day after day, as the sun rises and as the sun sets, season after season, right? As we make it out of spring and into summer and into fall and into winter and on and on the seasons go, it's a reminder to us of God's faithfulness. Just as we sang in our hymn, it's a reminder to us as we look out at the weather, as you have probably done as uh, this bitter winter has come to an end and spring has bloomed. I walk outside and I feel the nice temperatures and the cool breeze and I say, thank God. Not just because it's not negative 15, although I do thank God for that, but it's an evidence that, listen, we've, we've gone another season without God utterly destroying this world, which we deserve, right? The seasons that change remind us of this covenant promise that God will never, ever destroy the world again. One of the things that I've really enjoyed about living here uh, these seven years in Illinois is the fact that we have four seasons. I don't know if you've noticed that. You've been here all your life, maybe. Uh, there's four seasons here. 
Now, the reason why that's significant, and my mom can attest to that, she's in this weekend, uh, is because in Texas, we basically have two seasons, or maybe three. Uh, so during the wintertime, it's like mildly hot. Wintertime is mildly hot. Uh, come spring, it's uh, somewhat hot. Come summer, it's deathly hot, okay? And then when fall comes, it's again mildly hot. It's just hot all the time, right? All the time. And there's really no change of seasons, but when you get here, you have this change, and it's wonderful. And what I want us to remember is that we can remember God is faithful. God is faithful. So life lesson number two, we see from both Noah's response and God's response. Life lesson number two, worship and sacrifice is our appropriate response to God's saving work. So notice, what, what did Noah do? What was his appropriate response? God had delivered he and his family from death, and he had saved them, brought them out of the ark to start life again on the earth. And what does he do? Do you think Noah was busy when he walked out of the ark? Do you think he was busy? Did he have to, like, make a house or maybe do something with the animals? Or I mean, you think he had things to do? It's reasonable, okay? He probably had things to do. We don't exactly know, but the text kind of reads that he walks out of the ark, and he is so overwhelmed by the goodness and the grace and the faithfulness of God that he goes, and almost immediately he, he builds this altar, and he sacrifices to God, and he, it's, his, it's an appropriate response, thanking God for his saving work. And for those of us who are Christians, Paul says in Romans 12, verse 1, that is exactly our response to God's saving work through Jesus Christ, right? Therefore, Paul says, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy. What? In view of God's mercy in the past, what God has done for us in the past, in view of God's mercy, all 11 chapters of Romans, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. That is, everything you do and everything that you are is a act of worship to God, holy and pleasing to God. And the text says in the NIV, this is your true and proper response. Literally, a good translation is reasonable. It's your reasonable response. In other words, you're not paying God back. You're saying, God, you have saved me. You have begun this process of saving me. And you're making me like Jesus Thank you. All I can do is give my life to you. All I can do is give everything that I am to you. And so worship and sacrifice, like Noah, is our appropriate response to God's saving work. So in chapter 8, the flood rescinds, right? The waters abate. And after the flood rescinds, creation is about to restart. God is about to formally hit the restart button on his creation as we move then into chapter 9. So look in your Bibles with me at chapter 9. In chapter 9, we have basically a couple sections, uh, 1 through 7 and then 8 through 17. And in 1 through 7, God is, first of all, uh, going to make a new covenant with humanity. He's going to give human beings in Noah and his family the same task. Remember when God created Adam and Eve, remember what he said? He said, be fruitful in what? And multiply, fill the earth, right? At the beginning, God created and he said, be fruitful. He's going to give Noah the same task. And he's going to say that humanity, even after the flood, preserves the same identity. Remember there in Genesis 1, God says, let us make man in our what? In our image, in our likeness, right? We see post-flood, he's going to reaffirm that. He gives them the same task and the same identity, but he's going to give them some new stipulations. So things are going to change a bit. And all of this kind of language, referencing back to the beginning of God's creation, shows us 
that God is looking at the computer of humanity, so to speak, and he's hitting restart, right? He's restarting. So let's read together verses 1 through 7. Then God blessed Noah and his sons, saying to them, Be fruitful and increase in number and fill the earth. The fear and dread of you will fall on all the beasts of the earth and on all the birds of the sky, on every creature that moves along the ground, and on all the fish in the sea. They are given into your hands. Everything that lives and moves about will be food for you. Just as I have given you the green plants, now I give you everything. But you must not eat meat that has its lifeblood still in it. And for your lifeblood, I will surely demand an accounting. I will demand an accounting from every animal and from each human being too. I will demand an accounting for the life of another human being. Verse 6, whoever sheds human blood, by humans shall their blood be shed. For, and here's the reason, for in the image of God has God made mankind. As for you, he repeats this command, as for you, be fruitful and increase in number, multiply on the earth and increase upon it. So it's the same task, it's the same identity, but there are a few new stipulations, right? So first of all now, human beings get to eat meat. The text sure reads that before the flood, human beings were vegetarians. But now, after the flood, human beings uh, had the prerogative or opportunity to eat meat. Uh, I don't know how many of you uh, are really carnivorous and like to eat meat like I do, but I'm very happy that God made this stipulation, right? I'm very happy that God uh, included this uh, in his covenant. We get to eat meat now, however, not with the blood still in it. And then interestingly enough, he says, listen, in the case of murder, if an animal or, or another person takes the life of someone else in the, in the sense of murder, then capital punishment is now going to come into effect. God says, human beings are made in my image. And so if an animal or human being takes the life of another because they're made in my image, I will require their life in exchange. In verses 8 through 18, God makes a new covenant with humanity. And then he's going to give an attesting sign. That is a sign to both God and to human beings of that covenant. He's going to make this covenant to never again destroy the earth. And he's going to give what we call a rainbow as a sign of that covenant. So let's read that in verses 8 through 17. Then God said to Noah and to his sons with him, I now establish my covenant with you and with your descendants after you and with every living creature that was with you, the birds, the livestock, and all the wild animals, all those that came out of the ark with you, every living creature on earth. I establish my covenant with you. Never again will all life be destroyed by the waters of a flood. Never again will there be a flood to destroy the earth. And God said, this is a sign, this is the sign of the covenant I am making between me and you and every living creature with you, a covenant for all generations to come. I have set my rainbow in the clouds. It will be a sign of the covenant between me and you. Whenever I bring clouds over the earth and the and the rainbow appears in the clouds, I will remember my covenant between me and you and all living creatures of every kind. Never again will the waters become a flood to destroy all life. Whenever the rainbow appears in the clouds, I will see it and remember the everlasting covenant between God and all living creatures. So every, uh, all living creatures of every kind on the earth. Verse 17, so God said to Noah, this is the sign of the covenant. I have established between, between me and all life on the earth. 
Essentially, there are three aspects to this covenant. It's pretty easy to understand. First of all, it's an unconditional covenant. So God's not saying, hey, I want something from you. If you do this, I'll do that. This is an unconditional covenant. He's saying, I'm going to do this regardless of your response. It's unconditional, not based on human action, right? Secondly, it's universal. Did you notice the language? Every human being, right? Every animal. It's, it's a universal covenant. Every animal of every age, including me and you, is included in this. And then it's unending. There's language of an eternal covenant for all successive generations. So this leads us to our third and final life lesson. God is capable of restarting and rebuilding anything that we can mess up. And this is, I think, one of the most encouraging things about this story. It's one of the most encouraging things about the story of Noah. I mean, remember the depth to which humanity had fallen. Remember Genesis chapter 6. Remember all of the evil. Remember the language of every inclination from birth is evil. Remember that God said they had corrupted themselves. I mean, if we think about human history, at that point, it was certainly the worst that humanity had ever been, and maybe ever. We don't know. But it was really bad. Humanity had messed things up. But what we see here is that through Noah, God is capable of restarting, and he's capable of rebuilding. One pastor puts it this way, and I like what he says. He says, if God's grace is powerful enough to save and to rebuild humanity after the evil of Genesis 6, then it's powerful enough to save you from any storm and rebuild you after any fall. Friends, if you have entered into a relationship with God, if God has begun this saving work in you through faith in Jesus Christ, this is good news. Not only will he finish Ultimately, what he began, but the good news is that even if we mess up along the way, God in his grace can restart and can rebuild any mess up that we have. So let me ask you a question. Is there an area or two in your life that maybe you'd like to hit a restart button on? Something that you just said, I wish I could take that back. I wish I could do that again. I wish God could fix this mistake that I've made. Maybe it's a marriage that due to your sin and the selfishness of maybe both partners, it's on the rocks. Do you think God can restart and rebuild that marriage? Maybe it's a, a friendship, a relationship that's, that's gone south, maybe due to gossip or selfishness or rumors or jealousy or unfaithfulness in that relationship. Do you think that God can restart and rebuild that relationship? Maybe it's a secret addiction, alcohol, drugs, prescription or non. Maybe it's a food disorder. You eat too much or you eat too little. Maybe it's a fear, constant worry, anxiety. Maybe it's a past failure. Who doesn't have those? Maybe in sexuality or a past marriage. Maybe poor decisions with your kids. Maybe poor decisions with money. Whatever it is, hear this. There is no depth of sin that you can fall into. There is no depth of sin that you can fall into that God's grace cannot rescue you from. If you don't remember anything from this sermon, remember that. There is no depth of sin as a Christian, that you can fall into, that God's grace cannot rebuild you and rescue you from. So I want to close our time this morning with uh, this Peanuts cartoon. You're probably familiar with Charles Schultz's Peanut cartoons, right? Everybody loves Peanuts. So I just want to read this little cartoon from you. Boy, look at it rain. What if it floods the whole world? Asks Lucy. 
It will never do that, says Linus. In the ninth chapter of Genesis, God promised Noah that, that uh, God promised Noah that would never happen again. And the sign of the promise is the rainbow. She responds, you've taken a great load off my mind. To which he says, sound theology has a way of doing that. Friends, I hope that uh, the sound theology that we've heard today, these truths that we see from God's covenant with Noah, I hope that that has a way of doing that for us as well, of kind of lightening our loads that God finishes the saving works that he begins, that worship and sacrifice are our appropriate response to that saving work, and that God is capable of restarting any mess that we make in our lives until he does finish that work. I pray that this will also take a great load off of all of our minds. What God begins, he finishes, and he's faithful. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this account of your great faithfulness to your servant, Noah. And not only your great faithfulness to Noah, but your great faithfulness to all of humanity. Because if you had not been faithful to Noah, then none of us would be here today. And yet, because of your grace and your saving mercy and your desire to hit the reset button on creation and to start again, to start afresh, to start anew, you show your great mercy, your grace, and your power to rebuild and remake and rescue us from any depths of sin. Father, these truths, may they truly lighten the load on our minds. You are good. What you begin, you will finish. Along the way, may our response be that of worship and sacrifice in every area of our life. And when we mess up, we can trust that you will rebuild and restore. It's in the name of Jesus that we pray our great God and Savior, and all of the people said, Amen. Guys, thanks for being here. Next Sunday, we'll finish up with Noah, and we'll share communion together. Thanks.